Welcome along to this week's edition of 20 Minute Topic with me, Marcus Stead and Greg Lance Watkins. At long last, the United Kingdom is leaving the European Union at 11pm this coming Friday. And in this week's podcast, me and Greg are going to pay tribute to the great Brexiteers who are no longer with us. Well, first things first, it's Greg's birthday today. So, um, Greg, am I allowed to say your age? Uh, Yeah, happily, I'll say it. All right, you're 94. Then we know it's true. I'm yeah. 74. You're 94 today. today, yeah? 74 carries with it some interesting privileges, just to di- digress a little. Yeah, but you don't uh, use your bus pass. Um, no, can't stand buses. Um, I'm not very keen on trains either. I'm not in charge. And also, I have to fit their schedule, not mine, uh, which seems a very selfish way of them running bus companies and train schedules. It ought to fit my schedule. And I hate hanging about for things. I would rather not go to something if I have to queue for it. Um, in fact, all in all, as I get older, I become even more cussed. Yeah, but um, you say you, you hate hanging about for things, but you've been hanging about waiting and waiting and waiting patiently for the United Kingdom to leave the European Union, and you're getting the birthday present you really want this coming Friday. Oh, indeed. Um, I did wonder if there was any chance of, did I have good enough contacts to be able to actually access Boris Johnson and see if he could do it on the 26th? But I thought that would probably be a bit too too much of a a fix for people to go along with. Yes, the the world doesn't fit according to your timetable, unfortunately. But sometimes it's you have to wait. Well a, should do. Yeah, it's sometimes <laughs> you have to wait a few days to get the birthday present you really want, and um, you've finally got it. So we're going to talk a little bit this week about what you and I have wanted for a very, very long time is finally happening. The United Kingdom is leaving the European Union, and for me, this is a journey that goes back to about 1997. That's when I was at secondary school at the time, and I remember I I knew there was something intrinsically wrong with the European Union, even at that stage, but the big moment for me came when a a large booklet arrived uh, through our, our door, our front door, some months before the 97 election from James Goldsmith's referendum party. And it must have been about 12, 14 pages long, perhaps. And it went into a lot of depth about what was wrong with it as an institution. And that really grabbed me. And it stuck in my head for a long time, the details of it even. And I also remember that some households, but not mine, were given VHS tapes, which featured Sir James Goldsmith, another Brexit party activist who was presented by the former um, That's Life presenter Gavin Campbell. Um, one was delivered to my grandfather and he gave it to me and it's available easily enough on YouTube now. So that was my moment. Your moment came much, much earlier. You've been against this project since the 1960s. So for you, this is an even longer journey. I've been, um, I've been against it actively since about 1961. Um, and that was by way of debate at school. Hmm and classroom debate. So you're really uh, talking about the Gateskill generation, and because the greatest yeah. ever speech against this project was made by the former Labour leader, Hugh Gateskill, who sadly died before he ever got to fight an election. I reproduced uh, part of that speech. Uh, I quoted it on my Sovereignty UK website, sovereigntyuk.com. It's there among the articles. If you do a search for it on that website, you'll find it. That speech by Hugh Gateskill, so far as this EU project goes, is timeless. Um, it's a superb speech. Uh, another 
one that was grossly overlooked was the speech in the House of Commons by Enoch Powell mm. uh, in February 70, 1970 or 71. I'm not as quick on dates as uh, Marcus is, but put it down to my geriatric failing memory. Um, in fact, it's probably more, more likely the damage done to the brain with chemotherapy, but there you go. Hey, you're, you're one of the great survivors. And this is one of the things I want to talk about now is that, um, okay, obviously you've blogged about this in a great deal of depth, your battles with cancer and everything else. Um, you've been told you've had three months to live more than once, I believe. But here you are more than 20 years later, you're still very much with us. But I'm thinking about how I'll be feeling on Friday night. I, I had the opportunity to go to London and attend parties. I didn't really want to do it. And I think when Friday night comes round and 11pm on Friday comes round, what will be at the forefront of my mind is the people I have known and the people who I have not known, whose contribution I'm aware of, who have been part of this journey of Brexit going back decades, who have not lived, sadly, to see it. And to use some prominent examples, um, I think of, of a man you knew well, Norris McWhorter, who's been dead for some years now. Um, I think about uh, Christopher Booker, who died last year. I think about personal friends of mine, like the sports promoter Mike Watterson, who uh, died last year. Sadly, he did a lot in the 2016 referendum. And he was also very active in the years that followed uh, writing things on, for example, the Guido Fawkes forums, for example. And he and I used to speak at least once every couple of weeks. And his commitment to Brexit was absolute. I think we've also, since uh, the, the summer of last year, we have missed hugely the intellect of Christopher Booker at exactly the time we needed him. Christopher's understanding of the issues surrounding Brexit and how to go about leaving the European Union Christopher's understanding of how the institutions of the EU worked was second to none. And I'll be thinking about all these people, but also names that are not well known. Activists I've known, campaigners I've known, letter writers. I'll be thinking of them on Friday night. I'd like to also stress on that. Christopher Booker, uh, who I've known since the mid-60s, who I don't think he would have disagreed for a moment. Uh, we were friends not close friends but um he was always available if i wanted him on the phone he used to ring me but the other one who they almost came as a set was richard north that if you want to look him up it's dr r a e are his initials north he has run the most magnificent website blog for best part of 20 years and he did a great deal of the research for Christopher Booker and they used to speak literally every night at about somewhere around about half past 11 as part of the process of putting together Christopher Booker's articles for the Sunday Telegraph. Um, yes, Norris McWhorter. Norris and I shared a, a platform on several occasions I remember as the first one of the early days of my going into Eurorealism, um, rather misguidedly called by the mass media Euroscepticism. How can you be skeptical about Europe uh, when you can see it across the channel? And it gave a geographic pattern to it when you called it Euroscepticism, whereas Eurorealist 
was a matter of looking at what was actually going on and saying whether it was good, bad, indifferent or a bloody disaster. I phoned up Norris. I hardly knew him. And I said, I wonder, can you help? I've got an hour program uh, that I'm doing for HTV. And I'm afraid I'm a little bit out of my depth. And he said, when, when are you doing this? And I said, such and such a day. He said, uh, right, what time are you scheduled to start? And um, I told him, and he said, right, uh, I happen to know the hotel uh, where you are. I'll meet you there half an hour beforehand, and I'll stay for the whole of the filming of it. I don't want to be on camera necessarily, but if you want to ask me, any questions and that was just absolutely typical of the euro realist movement mm -hmm. yeah the generosity and willingness to help people and do so regardless of station status wealth or poverty well i think what you're saying is very important because we don't do this for money believe you me we certainly don't do it for money and I think back the people I've met along the way in this journey. But you asked, you mentioned um, Norris McWhorter, his background, for those who don't know. Uh, he was a very talented athlete as a young man. He was part of a twin. He had a twin brother, Ross McWhorter, who was killed by the IRA. But Norris was also an athletics commentator. He commentated on about four or five Olympic Games alongside the great David Coleman for the BBC. It's so also, may I add, mm. uh, Ross, his twin brother... Mm. It is believed that he was killed as a contract killing by the IRA, mm. but that the contract was on behalf of the European Union. That is one fairly understandable theory in that the IRA were never much of a real movement. They were a criminal organization mm. uh, that funded its operations with protection racket crime, bank robbery, anything uh, that made money and granted them power. They were a criminal organisation utterly bereft of real ideals, no ethics, no morality, merely a very large Irish crime syndicate. Yes, and, and one of the things I would say as well is that you look at, to my generation, the people, generation a little bit older than me in particular as well, Norris McWhorter and indeed Ross were the two faces of Record Breakers, the BBC children's programmes, because obviously Norris and Ross were involved in the Guinness Book of Records. That was their trademark, if you like. They worked on it for many years and Norris continued long after Ross was killed. And um, there's, there's footage of um, about five years after Ross was killed of Norris appearing on the chat show um, Friday night, Saturday morning on the BBC. And he's being interviewed by, I think it was Tim Rice. In fact, it was. Yeah, it was. Uh, and he, he, his memory of, of records is absolutely extraordinary. So he was an incredibly gifted man, but an incredibly patriotic man who did a huge amount of good for what you would call the Euro-realist movement from the 1970s at least until his death playing tennis, I believe. In the, well, uh, through the wilderness years, mm. he probably more than anyone else kept the flame alight. Mm, yes. And also we got to also pay tribute, I think, to those on the left of the political spectrum who in some ways were well ahead of the game because... In Peter the, Shaw? Yeah, Peter Shaw, certainly. Um, you look at the 1975 referendum. You had uh, you mentioned Peter Shaw. You also had Michael Foot and Tony Benn, 
Tony Benn, who's been dead for what now, seven or eight years, I think it is, he was absolutely resolute in his um, anti-EU sentiments because he, he had the famous five questions. I saw him speak in public twice. He used to use this a lot. Whenever ever anybody has power over you, the five questions you should ask are, what power do you have? How did you obtain that power? In whose interest do you use that power? To whom are you accountable? How do I get rid of you? Now, you ask all of those questions about, say, an EU commissioner. What power do you have? Quite a lot of power. How did you obtain that power? Well, I certainly wasn't elected. In whose interest do you use that power? Well, not in the interest of the people. To whom are you accountable? Nobody. How do I get rid of you? I can't. And so for Tony Benn, his Euroscepticism was based on the lack of democracy and accountability. And the, the Labour Party was a Eurosceptic party in leadership terms during the Michael Foot years. And I think we ought to remember, yes, it's never been a left or right issue and never been good people on the left and the right who sadly haven't lived to see Friday. I remember sitting one day at a table at uh, a, a Eurorealist, Eurosceptic meeting, sitting, chatting. There were four of us at the table. It was Norman Tebbit, Lamont and Peter Shaw mm. in complete cooperation because all speaking on the platform at some stage during the course of that afternoon mm. and coordinating so they didn't tread on the toes or contradict or steal anyone else's thunder. Mm. The cooperation was fantastic mm. and more cross-party than Peter Shaw, Lamont and Tebbit, mm. um, I think you'd have to go a long way to find well, yes, but even more recently than that, you know, we, we, even in the 2016 referendum, there were those in the mainstream media who tried to portray Brexit as some sort of far-right cause. The reality is that everyone from Nigel Farage to George Galloway to Norman Tebbit and even Arthur Scargill, all of these people were all in favour of Britain leaving the European Union. Now, you don't get a much more broad coalition than that. Uh, it was Labour policy not to be in the European Union for many, many years. And um, arguably, it was the actions of um, a few self-interested uh, right-wing politicians that dragged us in there, largely kicking and screaming. Well, yeah, and if you also look at the 1975 referendum, and again, that is a podcast in itself, the way that was rigged and nobbled in so many ways, every national newspaper, with the exception of the Morning Star, wanted us to stay in what was then the EEC. The Today programme on Radio 4, they had a very popular presenter called Jack DeManio, who was a known Eurosceptic, who was removed was under very, very dubious circumstances. It goes beyond that as well. There was um, an official mail shot from the yes and the no side, because it was a yes-no question in 1975. An official mail shot was sent to every household in the country for the yes side and the no side. And then the yes side, uh, i.e. The, the for staying in, was allowed to send a further mail shot because it was the opinion of the government. There were lots of things like that going on as far back as the 1975 referendum. Well, the 2016 referendum, where the government sent, at the cost of £9.5 million, pounds, a ca uh, thin catalogue of why we should stay in. And nobody sent anything to every household. And that was do done by stealing money from the Treasury. Nine million pounds. Actually, nine million pounds mm. to pay to put out a leaflet 
in favour of remaining in the European Union. And that, and that booklet, I've kept my copy, and it included the line, this is your decision, the government will implement what you decide. Well, the government did not implement what I decided. The way they dragged their heels, oh, particularly the two and a half years of Theresa May, uh, the way Parliament dragged its heels and tried to block Brexit at every opportunity going. I think that Parliament, the twenty, I think it was utterly corrupt. Yeah, the Parliament that existed from the period twenty sixteen through the, through the twenty seventeen election, right up until last December. I think history will judge that Parliament very harshly. And I think that the Speaker John Burko was a disgrace and brought the office of Speaker and parliamentary procedure into total disrepute. I agree completely because the role of the Speaker is to be impartial and even-handed at all times. Now, you think back some of the, the great speakers we've had, Bernard Wetherill, Betty Boothroyd, people <coughs> like that. I cannot imagine somebody like Betty Boothroyd behaving in the way John Burko had behaved, particularly during his last year in the chair. And I think it'll be quite a challenge for Sir Lindsay Hoyle, his successor, who I am a supporter of and I think has got off to a good start. He's a man of humour and integrity. It'll take a while to rebuild that. And I think that is one of the priorities of um, what once Brexit has, has been delivered, restoring the integrity of Parliament and the integrity of the Speakership. Institutions may be vast. They may be based on history. They may be based on precedent. But it only takes one person to break ranks and do so again and again to pollute all the apples in the barrel. A tradition is like a tree. It can take decades, if not centuries, to fully grow, and yet it can be destroyed by one act of vandalism. I think that's a very good analogy. Yeah. Uh, and finally then, there are just so many people who have helped this journey towards Britain leaving the European Union over many, many decades. People I've known who have, some died many years ago, some have died very recently. We've talked a little bit about Christopher Booker and Norris McWhorter. I gave Mike Watterson a mention. There is not time. We couldn't possibly name all of the people we are thinking of. Is there, if I said you can name one more person who's no longer with us, who contributed in a major way to this effort, who would it be? I'm going to name three, if I may, two alive, uh, sorry, one alive and two who are no longer alive. Mm. Harry Beckhoff, who, when he died, well over 100 years old, had opposed the European Union uh, since, opposed Britain's membership of it uh, since the war, and he had actively worked against it when he was in charge of rebuilding and setting up universities in Germany after their destruction. A remarkable man who, when he died, was the longest serving member of the Conservative Party ever. Then another was Idris Francis, who was uh, a staggering letter writer. Again and again, you would see his name in the press. He was an independent businessman who had won the Queen's Award for Exports. He had devised the joystick control. Um, he'd actually uh, designed it because he was a radio control plane builder. But 
it was the joystick that you would find on every wheelchair, every power wheelchair around the world. And that he made all of those. And the third person who has a fluctuating press and is to this day actively involved, though his involvement is now in banking uh, for the masses, I won't go into detail, but also for the union, and he lives in Glasgow, is Alistair McConaughey, um, who few will know, but um, you may well know him, Marcus. Oh, yes. You've named your website after his uh, publication, which has been going for many years. His publication is called Sovereignty. So those three, I think, have they typify the grassroots of the Euro-realist, Eurosceptic campaign. Thanks to Greg, and my thanks to you for listening. See you next week. <laughs>